0: Anyways, today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and open up there. And I would even say today that if you don't have a Bible, um, raise your hand and the ushers will bring you one. Because today, uh, his study is a really heavy, heavy study. Today I'm also just going to put my my human hat on, um, my pastor's hat on. Because uh, when it comes to sexual sin in the church, uh, it's just, uh, it's a crazy thing, you know? Uh, sometimes uh, people fall into sexual sin and they get beat up for the rest of their life because they don't realize the forgiveness that God offers. Uh, other times, people uh, get caught up in sexual sin and uh, and they just never change. And they think that they can live in sexual sin and come to church, and they think that when they die, they're going to go to heaven, but they're not going to go to heaven because you're living in sexual sin. So it's a real heavy It's a real heavy uh, time. You know, when we look at our scripture today, we're gonna see that it's a sin of an individual that they were engaged in, but it's also the sin of the church because they weren't willing to confront it. And so hopefully together today we get to um, use this study. You know, some of you guys are single, right? You're not married yet. Do you think that you can wait until you get married? I mean, from this point forward, not looking back, not trying to condemn you about the past, but, but how about today you make a, fa- a vow before God that says, I will wait until I'm married before I have sex. Because if the guy wants to sleep with you and you're not married, he does not love you. So why would you want to be with someone who doesn't love you? You know, I have a daughter, you know, and she's single, and that's probably the one thing that I tell her, Mia, You know, make sure he's a Christian and just make sure he loves you. Why would you want to be with anyone who doesn't love you? If that guy is not willing to wait, then please get rid of the dude. Please get rid of him or get rid of her maybe she's pushing you know I don't know how it works both ways sometimes you know and so if you're married you know the the thing about it if you're married you know we we see this all the time unfortunately where we see a husband has an affair I think they say about forty to fifty percent of all men have an affair and so wouldn't it be cool if we used today's study and God used it to say hey you're going to stay pure. You're not going to look at pornography. You're not going to check out chicks because it's not good to check out chicks. You see the girl, and we see them everywhere. We have the billboards. We have you know, the telephones. We're looking at the news feed. We could see a girl in a bikini or she's dressed with some cleavage. What do the guys typically want to do? They want to feed their flesh. They want to look. They want to engage. They want to lock their eyes and things like that. Guys, what does that do to us? It, it, it feeds the flesh, and so next thing you know is you want more. So all I'm saying is that we have to learn, you know, we'll see things. We have to bounce our eyes because I love God. I love my wife. I love my kids. And I'm not going to do this because if you get too close to the fire, you're going to get burned. If you find yourself in a situation that's too hot to handle, you're going to fall. And so you have to have a lot of these boundaries. You have to have this heart because, you guys, when we're pure – will be powerful. That, that's us as individuals, that's us as a church. And so, you know, if you've done this in the past, don't let this study condemn you, but I am begging you, in the name of Jesus Christ, repent. Please, resolve to stay pure until you're married. And if you're flirting with someone, and it can happen with the guys, with some girl, anywhere uh, uh, some you know sometimes what happens is the wife is not getting the attention that she deserves from her husband and so she goes to work and she finds a guy that's giving a lot of attention to her that's you know complimenting her and whatever just saying the right words to her and she ends up falling that's why you have to invest in your marriage if you're married you have to be sexually intimate because if you're not meeting each other's needs the Bible says in First Corinthians chapter 7 then there's more of a temptation. And so there's a lot of things that, that we have to learn. And so today I just want to share with you more from uh, the heart of a, of a man who, who's going through the same struggles that you guys go through, from the heart of a pastor who cares for you, um, who, who wants you to know that there is forgiveness, but at the same time just wants you to be blessed. I want you to be blessed. Because I believe That if you wait until you're married, then God will bless that part of your marriage. And it's a very important part of your marriage. But if you don't, if you just engage in sexual activity prior to being married, then you're going to struggle with one of the most beautiful parts of your life because you'll be reaping the consequences of your sin. And so for us as a church, you know, we deal with it. We're going to see today we deal with it after it takes place. But right now I'm trying to deal with it maybe even before it takes place because we want to be pure. And so let me give you an outline. That's probably the closest thing I'm going to get to my notes. And then uh, if you want more of a teaching, more of an academic, more of a technical thing, just send me an email, and 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 I'll send you my notes. But today I just kind of want to share a little bit from my heart. But anyways, in, in verse one, we're going to see immorality, and that's the individual sin. In verse two, we're going to see indifference, and that's the congregational sin where they didn't do anything about it. In verses three through five, we'll see the instruction in which the apostle says, "Hey, you have to discipline uh, them," and then in the rest of the chapter, pretty much gets you know the insight. Into the biblical discipline. What is it? What is he talking about? What are the details on this, you know? And at the end of the day, when we're practicing biblical discipline, we're doing it for two reasons. Number one, because we want to protect the brother or sister. And number two, because we want to protect the body, the church. And so we read here in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 1, it says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the gentiles that a man has his father's wife and so here in verse one we see that it, it was something that was reported to them you know as as pastors as leaders as individuals in the church we're not sin sniffers you know we don't want to go around looking for it but you know sometimes the lord just exposes it uh, sometimes people you know tell us things and so that's what happened right here. somebody reported that there was sexual morality among the church. And he says right here, it's such sexual morality that not even the pagans would do such a thing. And, and that is that there was a man, think about how crazy this is. There was a man who was sleeping, who was shacking up, who was living with his father's wife. And so it was not his biological mom, more than likely, uh, although you never know, it's just crazy things that we see. But more than likely, it's his stepmom. Now some people say, well, maybe the father died and so he you know, hooked up with her, or who knows, maybe the guy's still alive. Because what we find is that if you don't serve the Lord, if you don't have biblical convictions, then anything can happen. You know, Corinth, you guys know, was a very corrupt and carnal city. Where they say there was a temple the, uh, to Aphrodite, and every night, think about this: a thousand temple prostitutes came down into the city, and so for them, sexual intimacy was part of their religion. And so, you know, uh, you think about it: you got your little boy. Hey, Mijo, you want to go worship God? And he goes and. Whatever, he engages in sex with a prostitute or even your daughter. Think about it. The, the, the corrupt mentality that would say, "Mia, if you really want to be religious, you should go and work at the temple. I mean, it's just a crazy mentality that they had. Uh, some of them just did it for the uh, same reasons I think it's done nowadays. They enjoyed it. Uh, there was entertainment. They say that was, it got so bad that um, uh, there would even be some that justified bestiality. Having sex with an animal. Now, why is that wrong? Why is that wrong? I mean, if, you, if you're OK with it, whatever, I mean, the, 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 where, where is the absolutes? Who says what's right and wrong? You know, some people, the mentality of the world that we live in today says the culture does. The culture defines it. The laws do. They say that if you're under age, you can't be an 18-year-old with a 17-year-old, right? That's, that's the law. But and and I, and I think that's that's a good law. But in all reality, what we find is that men are, are with with kids because they think it's okay. Eventually, if you don't have the biblical standards, then anything goes. And right here, it was so sad, because it was in the church. I mean, apparently this guy was a believer. This guy was a brother, and he and you know Paul says, man, this guy was with his father's wife that's not even named among the gentiles it was actually against rabbinical teachings it was against the roman law but they still did it you know i mean it's crazy how far we've drifted from the scriptures and what we find right here is that sometimes the natural man's conscience can work better than the spiritual man's seared conscience and so any, anyways, this, this was a sin that was reported there amongst them. And, and so Paul is going to talk a little bit about that. And later when we get to chapter 6, we're going to talk more about, about sexual sin. Because sometimes people get the misconception about sexual sin, and they think, well, it's just like any other sin. In one sense it is, but in one sense it's not. Paul talks about that, that this is different, this is deeper When you're sexually intimate with someone, you're giving yourself to them. You're bonding yourself to them. That was created for marriage. And so when you're giving yourself away, and you're giving yourself away your whole life, what do you got left? And that bond that you're supposed to have in marriage, how how good, how well will it be? How beautiful will that bond be if you've already done this, you know all this t- all this time. so so the, there's a sin there. It, 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 we're going to talk about it. It's a heavy sin, and so there's a sin of, of sexual immorality, and that's bad, but believe it or not, that's not even the main point of the chapter. the The main point is the indifference of the church. Look at verse two, and you, he's talking about the church, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. They were puffed up about the fact that there was a man in their church who was sleeping with his dad's wife. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think they were puffed up about it? Why were they proud about it? You know, and we don't know for sure because the Bible doesn't say, but I'll, I'll bet you almost anything they were proud about it for the same reason that today when you drive down the street and you see that church over there with a big rainbow banner, they say, we accept everybody. Everyone's welcome here. You want to come here and and live in your homosexual sin? That's fine. Come on in. And they're proud about it. When in all reality right here, he says, man, you should be mourning over that. You know, uh, Joel Osteen, he takes pride in the fact that he doesn't talk about sin asked him one time hey how come you never talk about sin he says well that's not my calling Well, all dude wait a minute the bible talks about sin all the time how can they do what's right if they don't know what's wrong you know you we think well it's okay to be together sexually because we love each other you know you love you're lusting that's not love love is selfless love begins by loving God by doing the right thing for them so so the church was was puffed up. They were, hey, we welcome sinners. Come on in. Ain't no thing. And, you know, it's not a big deal. And we'll never make you feel uncomfortable. And this is the kind of church that you want. You know, a church doesn't talk about sexual sin or anything like that. You know, you just come in. You hear a message that makes you feel good, that maybe inspires you a little bit to go out and, you know, have a, a happy marriage or whatever, you know. And 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 so they they were puffed up about this. When Paul said they should have been mourning on this, and and the Greek word here is the mourning that would take place when somebody dies, you know, and, and it's it's that that's the, the the proper response. Why? Because if that individual continues to live in their sin, then they will die. And so he's saying right here, you should be mourning over your sins. You're you're puffed up. You have not rather mourned that hear that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you that what you got to do you guys if you want power there's got to be purity here and so we're going to see that in an individual life we're going to see that in a congregational life and I will say this because I love you I love God and I love this church that if you don't want to get right if you don't, if you want to continue in your sexual sin Please talk to a pastor and say, hey, I've decided to t- continue on my sexual sin. That way we can say, okay, we love you when, you, when you. when you're ready to get right, then you can come back to church. Because what, what ends up happening, you got to know this, you're not going to go to heaven when you die. And we love you enough to tell you that. Well, no, I said the prayer, and I got the t-shirt, and I got the bumper sticker. Yeah, tell that to Jesus one day when he asks you, hey, how come you did what I told you not to do over and over and over again? How come you didn't love me more than that person? The church has to deal with it. We got to be mourning because it has to, he says right here, it has to be taken away from you. See, the immorality, which was the individual sin, led to the indifference, was the congregational sin. And then so it led Paul to the instruction, which would be the biblical discipline described in verses 3 through 5. He says in verse 3, For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged. And that word judged right there is a legal term. As though I were present, he says, Him who has so done this deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're engaged in sexual sin. You're just addicted to pornography and, and, and you can't stop. And the real reason is because you're not saved. Today, come to the love of God. Today, Give God your heart. Today, experience salvation. Before I was a Christian, I I did all that stuff. I did all that stuff. There There was no reason not to before I was a Christian. But the day that I got saved, the Lord helped me. He gave me the strength to stay pure until I got married. I couldn't do it until I got saved. And that's why I'm saying maybe you're here today and if you really stop and you think and you look a little deeper, you're know, like, "Oh man, I've been living this all my life. And it's the Lord's way of saying, hey, you're not saved yet. Today, give your heart to Christ. He loves you. He died on a cross for you. He rose again. All you have to do is believe and receive him as the Lord and Savior of your life. Paul here says if this guy, this individual, wants to be engaged in that sin and you know he's there, he's got his dad's wife, What you need to do right here in in verse 3, Paul says, although I'm not with you physically, I'm with you spiritually, I'm with you with pastoral and apostolic authority, I'm, I'm here to tell you what you need to do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ when you're gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He's saying you need to ask that individual to leave. You know and sometimes it happens in a church you know um, um i'll tell you guys two stories real quick one one story is a good story the other story i don't know how it's going to end up but one story was of these two gals uh, lesbians that you that, that came to church and uh it was on easter sunday and they went forward and they got saved and so the next sunday they came up afterwards and they were like saying hey i really like this church and the studies and all that kind of stuff and uh and they said this is our struggle you know the same sex attraction and so you know we prayed we prayed and I just told them keep seeking the Lord keep seeking the Lord the way you are and then they kept coming you know and, until one day it was so cool they came up and they and they just said we want I want you to know because one of them was raised a Christian and they said I want you to know that we're going to go our separate ways so they moved. They could no longer live together. So they moved away. That was a good story. See, you come in here, you're struggling with with the sexual sin. You're struggling with your, your gender, your sexual identity. Just let Jesus change you. He will give you the power and the strength to do it. He'll help you. He'll bless you. He'll give you a greater love, right? But But there's another story of these two girls that were coming and And they were uh, lesbian and in that relationship. And the same thing, kind of, the same thing. They came, they liked it, but um, they kind of didn't want to change. And so what we do as a church is we just say, hey, yeah, you're welcome to come. You're welcome to come and be saved. You're welcome to come and be saved from your sin. Jesus loves you. Accept the Lord and then you'll have the desire to change and the power to change. And so, you know, you give them the love, the gospel. People come in here and they experience this worship and fellowship and love. There's nothing like this in the whole world because God is here. He lives amongst his people, right? And so they came, but they didn't want to change until finally, eventually, we sat them down and we said, I'm sorry, but if you don't want to change, then you can't fellowship here anymore. And they laughed. And they graffitied our door the next night, and a whole bunch of stuff happened, and you know, but um that, I mean that's that's kind of how it works. You know, one time there was a man who left his wife, he left his kids, and he was with another woman, and so we had to ask him to leave as well, and you know what he did? He went to the church down the street. See, it's different now, huh? Back then, where are you going to go? <laughs> There's only one church, and it's in Corinth. Other than that, you don't got a Christian church, but now you've got one down the road. So anyways, we found out that this individual was actually serving at that church, and not that we're looking. Okay, we don't have any private investigators, all right? But people tell us. You know, you hear things through the grace vine. What's our responsibility? Our responsibility is to call that church and say, just to let you know, this individual left his wife, left his kids, and he's sleeping with someone else. And you have them there at the church. And so we left the message. They never called us back. Why? Because they're like the Corinthian church. Oh, no, he repented. Listen, if he repented, he would go back to his wife. Some people think, well, I can just leave my family and start over again. God knows my heart. Yeah, God knows your heart. That's not how it works. You don't stay with that individual that you left your wife for unless... You want to go to hell? Oh, God knows my heart. You know what? That's a lame excuse. Oh, God knows we love each other. No, the Bible says you wait until you're married. It's very clear. And so what we've got to do is we, we, we have them move on. It's crazy what he says right here. We deliver them to Satan. Now, if you turn to Matthew 18, um, I think the, the way that it works is really interesting. Notice again, if you go to Matthew 18, because Paul's talking about, hey, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power given to me, that's what he's saying there in Corinth, and it seems to line up with what we read here in Matthew 18. Notice it says in verse 15, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear... Then take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you a tax collector or a heathen. Assuredly, Jesus said, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask it will be done for them by my father in heaven for where two or three are gathered together in my name i am there in the midst of them so what paul is sharing is actually related to this passage paul is saying in the name of the lord jesus christ deliver that individual to satan i got i got power paul said by the power i'm with you in this whole thing and what we find right here, the whole, how does it work? I mean, when someone's in sin, insistent, persistent, consistent sin, then how do we deal with it? Well, if you find out about it, then you go to that individual, you go to them. And you say, hey, bro, I love you, man. And I noticed that uh, you guys you know, spent the night together last night and you're not married. I, I don't, I'm not trying to judge, but I just care about you. Um, is everything okay? I mean, what's going on? And And, and hopefully the individual hears you if they don't, you know, and they do it again, they continue to live in that sin, whatever it might be, then you get someone else to go with you, someone who's also a Christian, someone who would, be, who would be the right fit. You know, I mean, we talk about this a lot. Probably most of you have heard this before, but do we ever do it? Because then if they don't want to hear that whole setting, then you take it to the church. Then you take it to the church. Why? We got to do things God's way. See, so first you go to them. If they don't want to hear you, then you take someone else with you who's the right fit and you go to them. If this person claims to be a Christian. And then if that doesn't work, then you tell it to the church. Then you call the pastors. Then you, you know, take it to that extent. And then we'll approach them. And if they don't want to hear, then what we find right here is Jesus says, then let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. What he's talking about there, when you put it all together, is that that's when you excommunicate communicate them from the church. But notice what he says in the next verse, 18. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Let me ask you a question. What do you bind on earth? What do you bind? You bind the enemy. You bind him, right? Jesus said if the devil has somebody and they're in his hands... And then someone stronger, uh, Jesus, comes. He binds the strong man. He binds the enemy. Then he plunders his goods. He takes those people from him, right? And so what he's talking about in the Bible is about binding the devil. So we can actually do that, and we should do that in the name of Jesus Christ and the power of his blood. Bind the enemy away from your kids. Bind him away from you and your you know, ministry in that situation, right? But we can also lose him. And that's interesting. You know and in one sense and I know there's probably more to it you know when it comes to the whole church but but if you think about it it would be almost like you go you you got these dogs right here in your hands and you're like you know what I'm sorry I'm going to have to let them go and they're going to come and get you and and what happens is when we excommunicate someone from the church sometimes you have to ask someone to leave your house because they're they're you know maybe one of your kids they will not Stay sexually pure. And they keep bringing it home or whatever. It's in the bedroom there in your own house. And then, you know, you got this plaque on your wall. that says, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You're not serving the Lord that way. So sometimes it has to come to that, you know, I love you. I love you. And we know, we love our kids. But I am not going to be part of that sin. I am not going to give them permission to sin. And so you ask them to leave. What are you doing? You're 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 delivering them in one sense to Satan. Well how why how can you do that? Why would you do that? And Paul explains it back in First Corinthians chapter five. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And, and how that happens, the destruction of the flesh, I mean, it could be, you know, that they're going to, uh, you know, get a disease. It could be that they're going to just the wear and tear of the world. It, it could be just even the destruction of the, the sinful nature, the flesh, the emptiness inside. Eventually they're going to feel it because while they're living under your home and while they're going to church under that sanctification, they're not going to be able to feel it. But now they can, and you're making a stand for holiness. And what we find right here, again, uh, Paul says, as an, as an apostle, uh, I indeed, in verse 3, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, back in the Matthew passage where he says, where two or three of you gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of you. Now, I know we like to use that in the context of prayer, but really, I think, and it does apply to that, but I think the whole context there is about about Jesus coming in and rescuing a sinner from hell. And and you do it in the name of Jesus. You do it according to his character, according to his consistency, according to his nature. Now, we like to pray in the name of Jesus, right? How many of you guys, when you pray, you pray in the name of Jesus, you you say it at the end, right? We do that, and that's okay to do. I will probably do that till the day I I die, or who knows? Maybe I'll still do it in heaven. I'm not sure how it all works. But uh, really, it's more than just a, a, a mantra, a verbal formula. It's just the whole character, the nature of what you're doing, not just words that you're saying. And so what we find right here is Paul then goes on and he kind of gives some details. In verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 5, he says, "Your, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And so again, they're puffed up about their sin. Oh, we accept everybody. We're tolerant. He said, no, it's not good. Do you not know? And this is going to be a phrase that we're going to find 10 times in the book of 1 Corinthians. You know, he assumed they knew, but a lot of times people just don't know. So hopefully now we know, do you not know this? Know what? That all it takes is a little leaven, a little leaven that we let in. That, lo- that just permeates, that, that is, it's like a cancer that, that spreads through the whole life of an individual or a whole church. And so you got to know that, because a lot of times, what do we think? We think, well, it's just a little bit, right, just a little bit of cyanide, right? Just a little bit of sin, just a little bit of poison, just once in a great while, you know, it's not that big deal. And Paul is saying, no, you've got to know this. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, what you need to do is purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are leavened. And so the old leaven is the old man. That's the way you used to be before you were a Christian. Before we were Christians, we did pretty much whatever we wanted to do. And we all have our weaknesses. We all have our tendencies or characteristics. Some of you guys here, you got a hot head, your tempers. Some of you guys here, um, maybe you used to drink or do drugs or you cuss like a sailor. I don't know. Maybe you were really caught up in riches and wealth and all those types of things. Or maybe you were very sexually active prior to becoming a Christian. He's saying, hey, you got you to purge out the old leaven, the old life, the old man so that you can become new. You're a new creation in Christ. And I like the way that he says it, because truly you are leavened. Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you truly a blood-bought, know, believer, bathed in his blood? If you are, then at the end of the day, you are without sin. You are unleavened. From a a positional standpoint, there is no sin in your life. And so basically what he's saying right here is just be what you are. Be what you are. Be pure, you know, as God has called us to be and God has washed us to be. You know, I was thinking about how a lot of times, you guys, you know, we go to the movies and a lot of the mythology in the movies that we see nowadays, they take this principle, Right? Uh, A long time ago, there was a movie out called The Matrix, and I don't remember all the details about the movie, but I do remember that the individual in the movie, uh, one day, you know, because he's struggling all his life, he's struggling, struggling, fighting, fighting, struggling, struggling, until finally one day, he realizes who he really is, and then all of a sudden, from that point forward, it's just a completely different type of battle. Do you realize that the God of the universe lives inside of you? It's, it's different, you know? I mean, we see it in all these movies. Uh, the Lion King, I've told you guys about that, right? Simba. Uh, he was just going, doing his thing, Akuna Matata, until one day his dad appeared to him and he said, You've become, uh, you are much more than you've become. And so he calls him to be king. And, you know, I was thinking even of uh, Thor. Uh, eventually, the day comes where he realizes he can do lightning from his eyes or whatever the case may be, you know? You know, and that's what he's saying right here. That's all mythology. That's not true. This is true. This is true. Truly you are leaven. Truly, God lives inside of you. Truly, God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Truly you can defeat every form of opposition. Truly, if the devil and all his demons came against you, greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. So that's all he's saying, you know, be unleavened, because that's who you are. You don't need any leaven in your life, because only a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. The, The way that we got unleavened is by Jesus, huh? because he's our Passover lamb. You read Exodus 12, Exodus 13, and what you find is that that's how the Lord set his people free. They went through all the different plagues. They were still there, you know, in bondage in Egypt until finally one day God says something puzzling. He says, okay, this will be the key to victory, that what I'll do is you guys take a lamb, and you kill the lamb, you take the blood, you apply it to the doorposts and the lintels of your house, and when the angel of death comes, if he sees the blood on your house, he will pass over. And that's all pointing to Jesus. He died for us on a cross. All our sins were put on him. He suffered for us. He rose again. And when you believe in him, then the blood is applied and the angel of death passes over. And that's what he's saying right here. Therefore, purge out, verse 7, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover, he was sacrificed for us, Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Nowadays, it's kind of cool. Have you guys ever gone to a Passover dinner? Any of you guys ever gone to a Seder dinner? They're really cool. Sometimes Christians want to go back to Judaism. Don't do that. You don't need to become a Messianic uh, Jew. No, be a Christian. God has set us free from that. But the cool thing about this, he's saying, is that you, you celebrate the, the unleavened bread and the Passover, not just occasionally, you, you celebrate it perpetually. Not just symbolically, you celebrate it in reality. That Jesus came and washed away our sins. I was talking to someone earlier today, and they were telling me that they almost died. And so, uh, you, you know, they said that they came to church because they wanted to tell God, thank you. And so I just you know, had the conversation with them. I said, OK, well, let me just ask you a question. If you did die, would you go to heaven? And she's all, yeah. And I, it was so cool having the conversation with her, talking about Jesus. We need to have that conversation, right? And so Paul here, he gives the details of how it all happens. And, and you're wondering, well, what happens when I deliver them to Satan? What happens when I ask, communicate them? Verse 9, he says, I, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to be co- keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a viler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person for what have I to do with judging those also who are outside do you not judge those who are inside those are outside God judges therefore put away from yourselves the evil person you know in the letter that we don't have Paul wrote to them not to be hanging out with you know sexually immoral people you know, um, but what he says right here is in that, in that command, he wasn't referring to those who were not saved, those who didn't claim, you know, to be Christians. He says, because then, really, at the end of the day, you'd have to go out of the world, and we're called to be in the world, right? Sometimes Christians want to have their little cubbyhole. They don't have any non-believing friends whatsoever. But we're supposed to be lights, where? In the darkness, You're not going to be lights in the lights. You guys would never shine your light in the light, right? I mean, I I guess in one sense it's cool that we can be witnesses to each other here at church, but when was the last time that you hung out with someone who was just as lost as a lizard? God says, he, he says, listen, I want you. Jesus, he was a friend of sinners, huh? So I'm not saying be careless and just go and hang out with someone that you know you're going to fall and slip and all that kind of stuff, but really ask the Lord for strength to be able to go and to be with those non-believers. You know, you may be the only message of the gospel that they ever hear. So don't ever lose the heart with eyes to evangelize. Don't ever lose that. When Paul here is talking about not hanging out with someone who's sexually immoral, you know, that person who's a consistent, consistent you know, persistent sinner, he's talking about people who claim to be Christians. That's what he's saying right here. What I'm talking about in verse 11 is not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or a idolater or a violent or drunkard, or extortioner. Notice what he says right here. not even to eat with such a person. See, and they got to feel it. They gotta feel it. Now, I don't know how all the divine details will work for you, but there there has to be that separation, you know, there has to be that aspect of them really feeling what it's like to be separated from the body of Christ, because in all reality they're separated from Christ. And they gotta they gotta know that right there, right? You know, Paul here in verse twelve, what have I to do with judging those who are outside? See, we don't judge the non believer. We don't judge them. Because they don't know what's right to do, and they don't have the power to do it anyways. You know, we're witnesses to them. We pray for them. We can share it with them, but we can't judge them. But we can judge, and we are called to judge the church. And that's what he's saying right here. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1, if you do judge, make sure you judge humbly. Take the plank out of your own eye before you can, you know, take the speck out of your brother's eye. Make sure you judge. When you judge, you judge in humility. And Jesus said in John 7, verse 24, when you do judge, make sure you judge righteously. And what he said, but what that meant is biblically. We don't go beyond the Bible. But in that context, we do judge. And so he closes there in verse 13. He says, therefore, put away from yourselves that evil person. And so he said in in many different ways, let me just read to you the different ways he describes the discipline. Taken away from you, in verse 2. Deliver them to Satan, in verse 5. Purge out the old leaven, in verse 7. Not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, in verse 9. Not even to eat with such a person, in verse 11. Put away from yourselves the evil person, in verse 13. The prayer is that through that church discipline, that individual will be saved. And the cool thing about it is that when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 2, what we find is that it worked. That as a matter of fact, it worked so good, Paul had to tell them, hey, you guys, let him back in now. Let him back in because homeboy has repented, man. Isn't that good to, when, you, when you see that happen? You know, every once in a while, I, once in a great, great while, it doesn't happen too often, but once in a great, great while, like once every 10 years or something like that, you see some kids running around uh, like crazy. They're bouncing off the walls, and they're playing the drums, and they're putting down the you know, microphones or whatever, you know, and if, we, I feel so bad because we don't have a playground for the kids to run in, right? But, but at the end of the day, though, sometimes there is that aspect of the parents never discipline their children. They never disciplined them. And that's why uh, sometimes, because every kid's different. Any of you here have a strong-willed kid? Okay, they're tough, man. I don't know how, a candy? Maybe I'm not sure how it works with them, man. But every once in a while, it's because they were never disciplined. And there are some churches like that, right? Never disciplined. And that's why there's no power. That's why this is going on. And what Paul is trying to say here in 1 Corinthians 5, yeah, the immorality, the individual sin, that that's, a, that's an issue. We're probably always going to deal with it. But the main thing that he was struggling with is the indifference, how the church didn't do anything. They were proud of it. And what he's saying is that you should. You should. You know, I, I want to close with two things. One is Hebrews 13, verse 4, where the Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled. I want you guys to know that sexual intimacy it's not bad it's not bad sexual intimacy is beautiful but it belongs in the marriage bed what a gift god's given to us man how how when we can have be intimate with our wife and that love and that oh man this expression of that love our child is born i mean this is so beautiful so i don't want you guys to leave here and think oh man this sex is bad no in the confines of marriage, it's beautiful. If you're married, make sure you are faithful in that, OK? So I want you to know that. And the second thing I want you to know is John chapter 8. John chapter 8 was a time when they came, and they bought a woman caught in adultery. And they threw her down in the ground, and they said, Jesus, the law says that she's supposed to be stoned because we caught her in the very act of adultery. And to make a long story short, at the end of the day, what Jesus ends up telling these guys is, "Say, hey, he was without sin, let him cast the first stone. And eventually what happens from the eldest to the youngest, they all walked away. Jesus looks at the woman, it's just him and her. Now it's just their moment in time. And Jesus looks at her and says, where are your condemners? Where are your accusers? Doesn't anyone condemn you? And she said, none, Lord. And this is what Jesus said. Because just in case you're here and you've fallen into sexual sin, And the enemy tries to condemn you. The enemy tries to accuse you. Don't let him. This is what Jesus said. Neither do I condemn you. But go and sin no more. And that's what I'm saying to you today. If you don't know the Lord, you won't want to do this and you won't have the power to do this until you become a Christian. But if you are a Christian and you've fallen, That's all I'm saying. You want to get blessed, you go and you sin no more. You stay pure. You repent and you resolve, not until my wedding day, Lord. And God will do a great and awesome work. Two last things, because I have 37 seconds left. Who do you think are the poster children of uh, lessons on sexual intimacy in the Bible? Who are the poster childs? Samson, probably one, huh, Samson? He fell into sexual sin over and over and over again until finally one day, it was too late, they gouged out his eyes, homeboy died, right? Samson, but who's the other? David, David, and he fell into sexual sin, a man after God's own heart, but look what God did with him. God made him a picture of Jesus, God said about David in Acts 13, 22, that he is a man after my own heart. So God can forgive. God can restore. Just let your repentance be faithful.